the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Once again, we greet you. It's the uh, Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. Uh, You're listening to AM 950 WTLN, and we do this show every weekend. Always look forward to having you with us. Jeff Sennis is our engineer. Andrew Herdliska produces our show each weekend. And in the first half hour, Mark Atterbury is with us. Mark is the senior pastor at Point Siena Christian Church here in the greater Orlando area. Uh, one of my favorite authors, and his new book is out. It's called The Solomon Seduction, What You Can Learn from the Wisest Fool in the Bible, Thomas Nelson, the publisher. Mark, thanks for joining me. I look forward to our visit. Hey, it's an honor to be with you, Pat. Well, what does the Solomon Seduction mean? Well... Seduction is uh, an interesting thing. It goes on a lot in our world. It's the art of enticing someone to make negative behavioral choices that they would otherwise avoid. And if we go back in history, we know that the first seduction happened in the Garden of Eden when the serpent approached Eve and enticed her to eat the forbidden fruit. The second seduction in history happened probably just a few minutes later when Eve turned to her husband and said, Oh, baby, you've got to try this. It's great. And from that time on, people have been seducing and being seduced, and there are lots of seducers in the Bible. There's Delilah and Bathsheba, and Jacob seduced his brother into selling him his birthright. So seduction is all throughout history. It's everywhere. It's all the time going on. But the biggest seducer of them all is Satan himself. And he picks out certain people that he wants to seduce because they maximize the damage that he's trying to do to the kingdom of God. Well, along comes Solomon, this great figure in the history of the faith, the son of David, the second son of David and Bathsheba. He becomes the king of Israel. He's loaded with gifts and talents, and God has blessed him. So what better target could there possibly be? Uh, than him. Satan tries to bring him down through all these seductions. He is successful. And the thing about this book is that it it sets up the warning signs that Solomon missed along the way. And uh, they're the same things we need to be on the lookout for in our lives today so that we don't follow in his footsteps. Uh, I wrote a book a few years ago <clears throat> called The Leadership Wisdom of Solomon, He was terrific for a while, wasn't he, Mark? He was terrific for a while, and I I try to point that out in the book. You know, it's funny. You come down on one side or the other with Solomon. You can look at his accomplishments and his leadership skills, and and they were many and great. Uh, But then you can step across that line to the other side and see the darkness that was in him. And I felt that there had been a lot of great books written about the greatness of Solomon and the leadership skills and all those things. In fact, I have your book on my shelf right now, and I even consulted it as I was writing. But I didn't see too many books out there that really addressed the darkness in his life. And so that's the direction I decided to go with this book. Well, your book is built around wake-up calls for all of us, uh, Mark, ten of them. Let's get started. Wake-up call number one, sin seems like a good idea. Yeah, well, Solomon's first blunder as he took um, uh, the throne was to make an Egyptian girl his wife. And it was part of an alliance he made with the king of Egypt. In those days, it was customary for kings when they made alliances to swap their daughters. Well, Solomon was only about 20 years of age. He didn't have a a daughter to give, but he accepted the king of Egypt's daughter to be his wife. And that was a sin, because God had said, you shall not marry pagans. Well, Yes, God said that, but in Solomon's mind and in the mind, minds of his advisors, 
it, it seemed like a good idea because it showed that Solomon knew how the game was played. He knew how kings did business, and he was willing to be a part of that fraternity. It gave him some credibility, you might say, as a young 20-year-old king. And so this is often the first sign of seduction. When you know what God has said, he, you know that he has said a certain behavior is wrong, and yet you find a way to rationalize it to the point that it seems like a good idea, maybe from a financial or a business point of view. And so the takeaway from this first chapter is that you don't want to make that first compromise. Because once you've made the first compromise and you've talked yourself into it, you know, you've said that's going to be okay, this is a good idea, then it's easier to make the second compromise and the third compromise. And with Solomon, he took that first foreign wife, and a few, a few years later he looked around and he had 700 of them. So that shows you what happens if you allow yourself to make that compromise. You convince yourself that it's okay to do what God has said you must not do. How does one deal with 700 wives, Mark? That's my favorite chapter of the book. It comes in later, but let's go to it because it's toward the end of the book and we may not we may run out of time, but do you realize, Pat, that 700 wives, that's more wives than there are players in the NBA. You know, that's more wives than there are Red Lobster restaurants in the entire world. That's more wives than there are ships in the U.S. Navy. That's more wives than there are commercial airports in the United States. If you add in (laughs) Solomon's 300 concubines, that makes a thousand women in his life. That means he had enough women in his life to make 27 sets of Radio City Music Hall Rockettes. <laughs> this is a lot of women. I mean, people, people, you think about this, it's hard to even wrap your head around it, but what I think it says to us, because here's the strange thing about these women, the Bible actually says that Solomon loved them. Mm. Now, it would be easy for us to convince ourselves that it was just the result of politics, that he took these wives on when he made peace treaties and that sort of thing. Or maybe it was just a status symbol, you know, let's have the biggest harem in the area so we can have some status. And I think that was all those things were involved. But really, the Bible says he loved these women. And what I think is going on here is I think seduction always have a, has a relationship component to it. Seduction may come into your life through finances or business or whatever, but so many times if you see a guy who's off track and he's going in the wrong direction, he's going to be also off track in his relationships. And guys have affairs, and they cheat, and I just I just think that's part of the whole seduction thing. And, um, you know, nobody today is going to have 700 wives, but you might be flirting with somebody who's not your wife, and I know lots of guys that have been married two and three and four times, and I think that's the parallel in today's world and the danger that seduction always has an impact on your relationships. Wake-up call number two, God's commands seem out of touch. Solomon basically broke three commands. One was, don't marry pagans. Uh, he married a pagan woman right out of the box. Number two, don't marry multiple wives. This is all in Deuteronomy. God said, don't marry pagans, don't marry multiple wives. Well, he did that, obviously. And then the third thing was, don't accumulate large amounts of wealth. So when he got into power, I mean, those those uh, those commands were fine as long as he wasn't king. But once he became king, those laws cramped his style. They kept him from competing with the other kings on their level. And so I think it was easy for him to tell himself that those laws of God were outdated and impractical. Mm-hmm. And we, we face the same temptation today, Pat. You know, we, we find a, a law of God, a command of God that's standing in the way of what we want to do. And so what do we do? We just convince ourselves that that law, that command is out of touch. And, and I'll give you a good example. There's so much cohabitation going on in the world today, where young couples, before they get married, 
they just move in and start living together. Well, it's happening even with lots of young Christian couples, kids that are raised in the church. They get to be 22, 23 years old. They meet each other. They develop a relationship. They become engaged, and they look at each other and say, well, let's just move in together. And somebody says, well, wait a minute. The Bible says you shouldn't do that. And they say, well, yeah, but that command is out of touch with the times. You know, we can save so much money, and we can get to know each other before the wedding. And so there's always this temptation for us to try to convince ourselves that God's commands are out of touch with the modern world. My guest is Mark Atterbury, and uh, his new book is out. It's called The Solomon Seduction, What You Can Learn from the Wisest Fool in the Bible. Thomas Nelson, the publisher, it's in bookstores now or up on Amazon.com. We've got another session with Mark Atterbury, so stay with us. Just a reminder, you're listening to the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Police called and broke the bad news to Charles. His personal and financial information was found on an identity thief's computer disk. Nervous and confused, Charles called LifeLock, the industry leader in identity theft protection. LifeLock went into action, uncovering multiple fraudulent credit applications the identity thief was trying to open in his name. LifeLock shut them down and helped him restore his good name and credit. Charles found out the hard way that identity theft is a global crime, a crime that's become so complex... You simply can't fight it alone. Your personal and financial information is everywhere. Don't wait for a call from the police before you take action. Visit LifeLock.com now or call and mention promo code AWARE to get a special 10% discount. Call 1-800-838-6010. 800-838-6010. 800-838-6010. See LifeLock.com for details. Network does not cover all transactions and scope may vary. Term life insurance. It can be a powerful way to protect your assets and your family. You work hard to earn and save your money to build a nest egg for the future. Don't let it get wiped out because you didn't plan ahead. Take the time now and make a small investment in a half million dollars or more in quality term life insurance. Call the Term Lifeline and let us shop the best companies to give you the lowest rates. We specialize in policies of a half million dollars and above. Ask about some of our 10 and 20 year fixed rate plans with guaranteed rates. Call the Term Lifeline right now for your free insurance quote. 800-430-0932. 800-430-0932. You owe it to yourself to protect your family and your assets. Make Term Life Insurance part of that plan. Call the Term Lifeline right now. 800-430-0932. 800-430-0932. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Mark Atterbury is the award winning author of 11 books. He's been the preaching minister at Point Siena Christian Church in Kissimmee, Florida, since 1989. His new book is out. It's called The Solomon Seduction. And, Mark, we move on to wake up call number three Your Glory is more important to you than God's glory. You know, Solomon started out his uh, reign as a model of humility. And you go back and read 1 Kings chapter 3, and you just see a picture of an incredibly humble, grateful person. But the longer you read his story, the more you see his ego beginning to grow and grow and grow and grow, until he got to the point where he was completely out of control. He had to have the biggest palace. He had to have the most gold. He had to have the most horses. He ended up with 12,000 horses. I don't know why a man needs 12,000 horses, but he had them. And he had to have the most wives, the biggest harem. In fact, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see where he talks about his life. He talks about this period of his life. He uses the word I over and over and over and over again. I did this. I accomplished this. I built this. And so he's taking credit for everything himself without giving any credit to God, without acknowledging any of the people that helped him. And I think this, too, is a sign that something is going wrong in a person's heart. You know, when when you're all about yourself, you're only thinking about yourself, and you really don't care about anyone else. I think that's a sign of seduction. 
Now we get to wake up call number four. You're more influenced by enticements than warnings. Solomon was seduced, and I chronicle the the demise of Solomon and how it happened a stage at a time. But the interesting thing to note is that all through this process, God was talking to him and warning him. Mm. Don't do this. Don't do that. God specifically spoke to him about the dangers, and he ignored God's warnings because he was more enamored with the enticements that were out there. He was king. And you know, when you're king, when you're a head of state, and it was true then, just like it's true now, you get privileges come your way. You get bribes, you get offers, you get all kinds of goodies. Uh, And the fact is, Solomon was just more drawn to the enticements than he was to the warnings. And, And that's a situation I think we all have to deal with, because God's Word, you know, if we're believers and we believe the Bible, God's Word is full of warnings. But the world is offering lots of goodies, and so we have to just make a choice. What is more important to us? What What's going to drive us in our lives? Is it going to be the goodies that the world offers or the warnings that God offers? And it's a choice everybody has to make. Wake-up call number five. Sin management seems like a better choice than repentance. This is my favorite chapter, Pat. Um, I think this hits everybody really strong it's it's the, it's the idea that let's say you've got a you've got a messy garage that needs to be cleaned out and who doesn't well you got three choices you can ignore it which is what probably most people do you can straighten it up kind of reorganize it or you can clean it out and throw out the junk and really have a better garage well a lot of people in life go for option number 1 when it comes to their sin you know they ignore it But then there are people who just try to organize it better. You know, they compartmentalize it. They keep it from touching other areas of their lives. They try to hide it better. But the best option is to really clean out your life and get the junk out. And so that's what Solomon did. Solomon chose option number two. He just tried to organize his sin. One example was his Egyptian wife, the first wife he took who was an Egyptian girl, and she was a violation of God's law. So naturally, he took some heat for that. She's, this is an Egyptian girl walking around the palace, and people are whispering and saying, look what our king has done. He's married an Egyptian woman. This is terrible. Well, Solomon recognized that it was bad PR to have this girl walking around the palace. So what the Bible says he did was he built her a separate palace several miles away and put her in that palace so she wouldn't be seen in the main palace. Now, that's an example of Solomon just kind of managing his sin instead of truly repenting of what he had done and sending this woman back to her father. And we all face that temptation. You know, if I'm sinning, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to repent and change, or am I just going to try to organize and hide my sin a little better? And unfortunately, a lot of people make the latter choice. Now we move to wake-up call number six. Your faithful friends are troubled by your behavior. Anytime you have a friend who comes to you and says, hey, I'm concerned about you, something seems wrong with you, you need to listen. Because your friends can usually see things in you that you are blind to. Solomon had this exact thing happen. He was very good friends with Hiram, the king of Tyre. They had been friends for 20 years. They had a business arrangement. Hiram gave Solomon wood and timber and gold that he used for his building projects, and Solomon gave him food so he could feed his people. But after 20 years, Solomon finished his business pro- or his building projects, and he didn't need Hiram anymore. And so he basically insulted him and, and left that relationship to die. There's more details to it than that in the story, but I'm just giving you the quick version. And so Hiram comes back to Solomon, and he says, what's the matter with you, my brother? Mm. And that's a question that maybe you'll be asked someday, or I'll be asked someday. Somebody that is a close friend will come and say, hey, what's the matter with you, my brother? And when that happens, you need to listen, and you need to think, because that person is probably seeing a problem in you that you're not seeing in yourself. Wake-up call number seven. Your drinking glasses cost more than some people's houses. Well, Solomon was big on gold. His, the Bible says his drinking glasses were made out of solid, solid gold. So I did a little math. I estimated, let's say, one of his drinking glasses would weigh 12 ounces. 
And when I was writing the book, I looked up to see what gold was selling for. And at that time, it was about $1,700 an ounce. So that would make one glass worth $21,000 in today's money. A set of six glasses would be worth $126,000 in today's money, which would mean that his glasses cost more than some people's houses. <laughs> Solomon went nuts with gold. Practically everything he had was made of gold or overlaid with gold. And this is in spite of the fact that the Mosaic Law said that kings were not to accumulate large amounts of wealth. And so I think the, the application here is pretty obvious. In today's world, one of the telltale signs of seduction is that you become more and more materialistic. Uh, things mean more and more to you, and people mean less and less to you, and spiritual uh, priorities mean less and less to you. It's probably one of the most obvious signs of seduction is just the materialistic bent that develops in a person's life. We... Uh have three more to go, Mark. Uh, let's get back to number eight. Maybe there's something to add here. Wake up call number eight. There are a thousand women lined up outside your bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I find this to be just incredible. Uh, I think it's the when people think about Solomon, I think this is one of the first things they think about is all the women. But I'll say it again. The thing that amazes me about this is the Bible specifically says that Solomon loved these women. Mm. On some level, he was emotionally invested in them. I don't think that he loved them the way a monogamous Christian husband would love his wife today. I, I don't believe that. But I do believe that there's something about these women that excited him, that thrilled him. And that's what we have to be wary of today, I think, as Christian men. We're going to encounter a lot of women in our, our work and in our travels, a lot of beautiful women, a lot of tr attractive women. And, I mean, it's, it's always a temptation, and you just have to rein that in and make sure that Satan is not able to use that to take you in a direction that could destroy your life. Do you think all 700 of these women were there in the same building? Well, I doubt it. I, you know, with the first one, he built her her own place, and I kind of suspect that he probably built quarters for these women so that they would have a place. And what I often think about, Pat, you know, what kind of catfights were going on in this group? Because there had to be some competition there, you know? Um, I mean, some of these women probably had nagging type personalities and were some, I mean, they're all kinds of person. I get 700 people together in any situation. You're going to have a variety of personalities. You're going to have competition. I just wonder what kind of uh, fights were going on among those women as they vied for Solomon's attention. I, I'm kind of scared to even think about it. Did any of them give birth to children? I don't know. As far as I know, we're not told that. Um, I would think it's likely they did, but um, I'm not aware of, of that information in Scripture. Wake-up call number nine, Mark Atterbury, our guest. His new book is called The Solomon Seduction. The throne of your heart goes from being a chair to a sofa to a sectional. Well, many of Solomon's wives were pagan. They brought idols with them into the palace, into the relationship. Of course, idolatry is a major no-no in the Bible. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. Nevertheless, Solomon, I think in an effort to please these women, began worshiping these pagan idols with them, and he even went so far as to begin building altars to these pagan gods on the hills around Jerusalem. And I, I personally think this is rock bottom for Solomon. Mm. When he begins building altars to pagan gods and then worshiping those idols, I just think that's the lowest point in his life. And, and again, this is a sign that a person is being seduced. When you start making room in your heart for other gods, you know, we are to have our allegiance with the God of the Bible only. We shall have no other gods before him, but often we we enlarge the throne of our hearts to accommodate other things. That's the idea of the chapter. Wake-up call number 10, God draws a bullseye on your chest. Toward the end of Solomon's story, something alarming happens, something striking that I think should get everybody's attention, and that is God got so fed up with Solomon and his disobedience that he started raising up uh, adversaries to fight against him. Hadad the Edomite, Rezad, uh, Rezom the, the son of Eliada, and Jeroboam, one of Solomon's own officials, so he was an internal enemy. 
Uh, God just said, you know what, I've had enough. I'm going to raise up these people to fight against you. Now, compare that with what had happened seven chapters earlier in Scripture when God said to Solomon, hey, ask for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And of course, Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave it to him and they had this wonderful relationship. But just seven chapters later, now God has become Solomon's enemy. And so there's a warning for all of us, you know, hey, if you stray away from God, you know, there's grace. Of course there's grace. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you. But if you just keep going and going and leave him behind and start doing your own thing, there will be a point at which God will say, I've had enough. And I'm pretty sure you don't want to see that day happen. Mm. So, Mark, what are we to take from all this? Well, I think there's one verse that kept coming to my mind all the way through um, my study and my research and my writing, and that is Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, which says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. And I think that's the fundamental message of the book, is that you have to be on guard all the time. Satan is constantly working to try to seduce you, to try to lead you away from God. And he will. He's good at what he does. He will, if you don't guard your heart. And with it all, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, basically. Um, Was that in a good time in his life? Yes, I think Solomon, and and here's another strange thing about Solomon, is I, I think you know, he had this brilliant mind, and I do think he wrote a lot of those Proverbs early in his life, but before he got so far away from God. But but it's amazing that he gave, I think, the greatest advice for practical Christian living that we have in the Bible. Now, that's not to say that Paul's writings and his epistles and those things aren't important and valuable, but just for practical, everyday principles of daily living, I think Solomon just really gives us a treasure trove of advice. But he didn't take his own advice. And, you know, we, we, people like you and me, Pat, who write books and preach and speak and anybody in leadership, you know, that's the danger we all face, is that we'll stand up and give a great speech or we'll write a good book or we'll send a message out there to the masses of how they ought to be doing things, and then we don't do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the real danger that, that we have to fight every single day. Satan loves to seduce a leader. Satan loves to seduce a preacher or a motivational speaker or, or a business leader. Anybody who has influence, he loves to go after those folks because he knows if he can bring them down, the damage will be much farther reaching. Mark Atterbury, our guest, The Solomon Seduction. It's a tremendous read. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour on AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Hello, everybody. Alan Thick here. You know, it takes money to run a country. Your money. And that's why if you owe back taxes, the IRS might garnish your wages. They could levy your bank account, come after your home or business. But truth is, they'd rather settle for less than bother you more. So they have this brilliant program to help if you're behind on your taxes. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative. They're offering this to help you solve your tax problem once and for all. You could qualify for a settlement that's substantially less than before these changes. Nobody knows these tax relief programs better than the experts at Optima Tax Relief. Their attorneys and agents will work to get you the best possible tax settlement. And they're fully accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Don't wait till it's too late. Call Optima for your free consultation. Call 800-711-5743. That's 800-711-5743. 800-711-5743. Some restrictions apply for complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Hi, everybody. It's Pete Piquette, your morning host here at the new 950 WTLN. And I'd like to welcome back a computer program here on the weekends, very familiar to our listeners. It's Tech Talk and more, Saturday afternoons at 4, from Palm Tree Computer Systems and Jinx IT. They are the experts on any problem you might be having, downloads, uploads, software, hardware. You've got questions? These experts have the answers. And you never know when you could win something pretty cool. It's Tech Talk and more, now Saturday afternoons at 4, on the new 950 WTLN and WTLN.com. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, 
as he opened God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new 950 WTLN. If you miss the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace, Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on the new 950 WTLN. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Mark Atterbury was our guest in that first half hour talking about his new book, The Solomon Seduction. <clears throat> Bill Pollard is going to join us from Wheaton, Illinois. Bill's book is out with Crossway. It's called The Tides of Life Learning to Lead and Serve as You Navigate the Currents of Life. Uh, C. William Pollard. I'll just call him Bill. How's that sound, Bill? That's great, Pat. I'm so glad we can visit. Uh, Billy Graham wrote the foreword for your book. Tell me about that. Well, uh, I've had the privilege of working with uh, Billy Graham for over, oh, almost 35 years now, uh, serving on his board, and uh, in the last probably 25 years serving as chairman of his executive committee. So uh, we've developed a close friendship, uh, as well as working relationship. Uh, he's someone, obviously, that I have learned a lot from and uh, greatly admire. Tell me the mission of your book here, Bill. Well, the, the book started out as uh, uh, a way to communicate to my uh, grandchildren um, something about uh, what Grandpa did in his life, as well as some of the decisions he made and the guidelines for the decisions. And then it... Uh, it expanded as I was contacted by a couple of publishers to really, I was thinking about self-publishing it, frankly, uh, Pat, but uh, then they said, no, it had a broader appeal, so, uh, but that was the impetus for uh, the initial writing of it. Chapter one, Bill, you call a framework for the choices of life. Uh, tell us about that. Well, um, Pat, uh, I'm, one of, my, one of my favorite pastimes is sailing. And when you're uh, when you're sailing uh, a boat, you have to deal with uh, forces that are out of your control, forces that even you don't see, you may feel. The wind is obviously the the main force, but if you're ocean sailing, you've got to deal with the tides too, for example. And you have to learn to navigate with these forces that are out of your control and sometimes you don't see. And that's a lot like life, uh, at least as I have found it, that uh, many of the forces of life are not in your control. Uh, even at the beginning of life, for example, you didn't determine when you were going to be born. You didn't determine to what family you were going to be born to, um, uh, on and on. And uh, although uh, a lot of us like to comment upon uh, what we think the government should do uh, and we vote, uh, we really don't have much control over the forces of government or Increasingly, for example, the globalization of the world and the forces of globalization. So you have these forces uh, in life that you've got to make choices about, uh, and you have to navigate, just like you have to navigate a boat if you're going to get move in a direction. And the real question, ultimately, that I continue to keep asking in the book is, as you navigate, is there room for God's hand on the tiller? Mm. Uh, and uh, so... I begin with uh, that whole concept of the importance of recognizing that God created us for the freedom to choose. So we, we, we can choose. But uh, under what framework? Do you have a framework for life under which you're going to make these choices and navigate through, through life? Bill Pollard is our guest. For 25 years, he participated in the leadership of the Service Master Company twice serving as the company's CEO. His book is called The Tides of Life. Bill, here's the second topic I want you to talk about, the persistent question of fairness in an uneven world. Uh, yes, Pat. I, I, uh, I found, especially uh, starting out in, in my teenage years, uh, as well as dealing with uh, um, the expanding of our business internationally, that... Uh, we live in an uneven world. We live in an uneven world economically. Uh, obviously, uh, those of us uh, that have grown up in America have had the great privilege of living in a country with 
a lot of opportunities and the ability to generate wealth and to uh, be good stewards of that wealth to generate. But there are a lot of areas in the world where you don't have that opportunity. You're aware of that. I know, Pat, uh, mm-hmm. with what you've done with the adopting of, of children. So um, um, it's an uneven world, and uh, you can't you can't live in an uneven world without asking the questions, why Why was I born in the family I was born in? Why was I born in America when, uh, when I have been in Africa or I've been in some of the Eastern European countries? Uh, or in South America, or in uh, some of the Far East countries, uh, where the opportunities uh, initially for many were not the same as I had. Uh, and, and what is that all about? Where's the fairness in all of that? Uh, and those are persistent questions. They're, they continue to be questions for me. Uh, and uh, when I come back and get come to a final answer, Pat, it is, you know, you deal with what you've been dealt. And... Uh, and God is going to hold you responsible for the opportunities you've had, uh, and you're to be a good steward. Bill, the third topic I want you to talk about, work, a calling or a curse? Well, um, I had the privilege um, uh, of joining Service Master when I was 37 years old as part of the senior management team. Before that, I had practiced law for 10 years and then served on the administration and faculty at, at Wheaton College. When I was recruited to join Service Master, um, I found a unique environment. It was founded by a person, Marion Wade, who said um, back in 1946 when the co- company was founded, uh, you know, uh, I can't leave God in the pew on Sunday. I have to bring him to work on Monday. And uh, this is my ministry. Uh, and that's the way the company uh, was run. And my two predecessors, Ken Hansen and Ken Westner, developed uh, four objectives for the company. To honor God in all you do, to help people develop, to pursue excellence, and to grow profitably. Those first two objectives were end goals for us at Service Master. The second two were means goals. But as we came to work, uh, those of us that were Christians, could look at this as a calling, a calling of God. Now, often we don't hear uh, 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 sermons uh, on, the, on the subject of business being a calling, but I believe it is a calling um, and uh, can be a calling. In fact, uh, Billy Graham once said that the marketplace may be one of the greatest mission fields in the country. Uh, it is true that in the marketplace, you mix with uh, the diversity in the world that God so loved, John 3, John three sixteen, And uh, you have an opportunity uh, to, if you excel in business, to have a platform to share what your faith is all about. And it's important in doing that to understand the difference between affirming your faith and imposing your faith. Because when you do the latter, you, you've missed the mark. Uh, but all of those things are part of, I think, uh, looking at work, whatever it may be, as something that can be a ministry in your life, a ministry for God, if you're a Christian, and even what I refer to as a full-time Christian ministry. Forks in the road, that's the next topic you write about, Bill. Well... Um, as part of these choices of life, and as I've already described, uh, uh, there were forks in my road, choices that had to be made. Um, obviously, the first choice, major choice, was the choice for my wife, and we've just celebrated 55 years of marriage. Uh, mm. That was a wonderful choice, uh, uh, but uh, as I remind people, when Judy and I got married, we thought we knew something about each other, but uh, <laughs> uh, we... <laughs> We really didn't know each other until we got married, and what's made it a great marriage is not everything we knew before we got married, but what we've done after we got married to make it a great marriage, and that's true with many decisions in life. And then there was the decision of what what was I going to do coming out of college, and uh, I had some guidance from some professors who thought I should should go to law school. I was already married then at that point, and... uh, uh, so I had the opportunity of going to Northwestern uh, Law School at, on a full full scholarship, uh, so I did. 
and then I practiced law for 10 years after that, and uh, I was um, engaged in the practice of law, to say at least it was consuming me. If I look back at it, if I had stayed in the practice uh, the way I was conducting it, I may not even be married today because it was so consuming. And uh, after a large acquisition that I was working on, um, a couple of weeks afterwards, uh, when I was 33 years old, my wife found me out cold on the bathroom floor. Mm. And uh, uh, they rushed me to the hospital, found out I had a bleeding ulcer. Mm. Major surgery and three weeks uh, involved in recovery. And uh, one of my clients, which was Wheaton College, uh, the president of Wheaton College was a regular visitor to the hospital. And uh, as I was ready to be discharged, he came the day before, and he said, Bill, I've been praying. I think you ought to leave uh, the practice and come and help me at Wheaton College. And mm. I looked at him, and I said, you know, Hudson, that's the furthest thing from my mind. I've got a family to support, and I know you can't pay me what I'm earning in the practice of law. And I really don't know. I Really, that's that's not for me. Well, uh, I prayed about it. Uh, Judy encouraged me to investigate it further. And uh, uh, three months uh, later, I was ready to make a decision, I thought, but there was one sticking point, uh, Pat, and that's uh, I knew if I was going to come in the administrative side that the president was considering me to serve in, it would be uh, dealing with the finance committee of the board. And I knew there was a fellow who led the finance committee of a trustee who I didn't know if I was going to be able to get along with. He was a very direct person, and I didn't know him well, but I know knew more about him, and I... I shared that reservation with the president. He said, oh, Bill, don't worry about it. He's a fine man, and you'll get along with him. Well, uh, no sooner had I had that lunch with the president, went back to my uh, law office, and I got a call from him. It was Ken Hansen. And uh, Ken said, uh, when are you going home tonight? And I told him, uh, he said, well, can you stop at the college? And Can we talk? So um, I met him at the president's office that night, and uh, after a greeting, he, we sat there and he had, a, he had a piece of paper on his lap. He turned it over and put it in front of me. He said, will this, will this satisfy you? And it was his resignation as a trustee of Wheaton College. Oh, my. <laughs> but then I got to know Ken Hansen. Ken Hansen at that point was the CEO of Service Master. And that's where I first got to really know Ken, working with him at the college. And uh, um, so uh, God clearly led me there. And uh, sometimes I wondered the first six months why I was why I was there. I had uh, not back practicing with my partners, um, but um, then the college received a, a major gift of uh, an interest in operating coal companies through an estate. And it was a very complicated estate, and um, I found myself commuting from Chicago to Pittsburgh for most of my time at Wheaton. And when that was all wrapped up, and uh, the gift finally came to Wheaton. I uh, was ready to go back uh, to the practice of law when uh, uh, Ken recruited me to consider coming to Service Master. So you can see how God mm. was in all those steps that I that I didn't really understand, which is, I think, true in seeking to find God's way. Is you don't always know. Uh, you pray about it, but you don't you don't always see it clear. But you've got to make a decision, and uh, and, and God's right beside you, even though you may not realize it. Bill Pollard is our guest. The book is called The Tides of Life. <clears throat> We've got about a minute and a half before the break. Uh, Bill, tell me about Service Master. Well, Service Master uh, uh, was a rapidly growing service company in uh, the late 20th century. During my tenure, we we had compounded growth of about uh, 35 to 4% a year. And uh, as I retired, we were serving in 45 countries uh, uh, with over 10 million customers uh, and over 200,000 uh, people that we managed or employed. So it was became a big public company, uh, Fortune 500 company. And, uh, um, uh, and today, uh, about seven years after I retired, uh, the company was sold to a private equity firm. So it's no longer a public company today. We uh, are talking to C. William Pollard, and his book is called The Tides of Life, <clears throat> Learning to Lead and Serve as You Navigate the Currents of Life. Dr. Billy Graham wrote the foreword, and uh, we have another segment with Bill Pollard. 
from his home in Wheaton, Illinois, and we're looking forward to that. So stay with us. Uh, just a reminder, you're listening to the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. We do this every weekend. I've done it for years here on AM 950 WTLN, and always appreciate the fact that you tune in here on the weekend and uh, hopefully uh, enjoy all of our guests. Uh, we're certainly having a good visit with Bill Pollard. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. When my son started having behavior problems, the total transformation techniques were like the instruction manual on how to deal with him. We got immediate results. Do you wish your kid came with an instruction manual? When he's disrespectful, defiant, or even abusive, do you know how to fix it? I'm behavioral therapist Janet Lehman, and I'll show you how to change your child's behavior with the Total Transformation, the program that helps you fix every behavior problem under the sun. There's no screaming, no fighting, no frustration. The Total Transformation is the program my husband James used for over 30 years to solve even the worst behavior problems. Your child will listen to you again and you'll get peace and sanity back in your home. Now you can get the Total Transformation for free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. Call now, 1-800-798-2905. 1-800-798-2905. That's 1-800-798-2905. Here is what the students are saying about Reformation Bible College. The thing I most enjoy about RBC are the professors. Very godly men. They're very personable, invested in training you in Scripture, but also training how to live that as well. It's being called one of the best Bible colleges in the country, conveniently located in Sanford. And for a limited time, your son, daughter, grandson, or granddaughter can attend RBC for half the normal tuition. Find out more by visiting WTLN.com or by calling 407 682 Palm Tree Computer Systems is excited to announce their newest addition, the brand new Palm Tree Computer Systems in Sanford. That's right, it's a grand opening extravaganza you won't want to miss. Come join us Saturday from 10 to 4 at 200 North French Avenue in Sanford. Lots of food and beverages, over 100 prizes will be given away. Tech Talk and more will be broadcasting live. You can even win a Microsoft Surface tablet. I'll be doing free checkups on your computers too. Don't miss the brand new Palm Tree Computer Systems. Grand opening Saturday from 10 to 4, 200 North French Avenue in Sanford. See you there. there. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Bill Pollard is our guest. We're talking about his book, The Tides of Life. Next topic, Bill, The Awesome Responsibility of Leadership. Yes, and I I uh, uh, mentioned here too. I've the influence people's had in my life, and uh, Peter Drucker uh, was a counselor of mine during my time at Service Master, but also became a great friend. And uh, in the whole area of leadership, he was very helpful. His his statements in some of his books, you may not understand his initial statement when he says leadership is not something that should be sought after. Leadership is just a means. To what end is the real question? And the end of leadership uh, for uh, Drucker, and became for me, it was the people that follow and the direction they're headed and who they are becoming in their work, not just what they're doing, but who they're becoming. When you, when you think of it that way, that, that begins to set the dimensions of the awesome responsibility for leadership. Drucker also had another short statement, a profound statement about leadership, and that is a leader has only one choice to make, to lead or mislead. And as you think of the responsibility of leadership, that's an awesome responsibility, especially when it is for the people who are following. And what they're doing, uh, certainly in getting good results, but also in that process, what kind of a person are they becoming? As a parent as a spouse, uh, uh, as a serving in their church or in their community, uh, who are they becoming? Because when you're dealing with people, you're dealing with something that's not temporal, but it's eternal. Now we get to the battlefield of the market, mind, and soul. Well, I just, uh, in this chapter, recognize that uh, when... 
when one wants to bring their faith into work uh, in the in the marketplace, that it is it is a battlefield. It is a battlefield of competition. Uh, that's what makes the marketplace work. Um, it is a battlefield where where the making of money, uh, the achieving of success, can become consuming. And certainly, the temptation is there. Uh, so um, it sure is a battlefield. And it's not just only a, a battlefield of competition, but it also preys on your mind at times. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the reason why you need to uh, have a close relationship. At least I needed to have a close re- relationship with God as part of the challenges that you face and not being allowed it to be, to be consuming. You write planning for the future, Bill. What's that mean? What's that about? Well, you know, uh, Pat, we live in a rapidly changing world. I had mentioned earlier about the impact of globalization. Um, uh, it is impacting all of our lives, and sometimes very subtly. For example, nation states are becoming more and more uh, dependent upon each other. Uh, we're very dependent today upon China, and China is very dependent upon us, for example. So that uh, as you think about it, you need to plan. And uh, as part of planning, both for your life or if you're in a leadership position for the organization you're leading, um, what, what are the requirements uh, of planning? Uh, and, and I used to uh, encourage in our planning process at ServiceMaster for us to ask three questions. What are we doing today that's really not necessary for the future? We ought to stop it. What are we not doing that we better start doing because it's going to be important for the future? And the last one is what are we doing that is going to be is doing well today, but it's even going to be more important for the future and we better invest in it and do it better. And that's assuming that you have some understanding about the future. And some understanding about the future is not predicting it but it's identifying the trends of today that are going to make the future happen. Uh, And the interaction uh, among uh, people all over the world today is far more open than it's ever been. That's that's an example of of that. So what does that mean? Um, The growing uh, uh, elderly population, uh, how does that that impact us? Uh, the, uh, The function of... Many governments, and not on not on sound economic basis, but on deficits. Uh, when does that stop? And 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 what does it mean for the future? All of these forces are out there that you can identify that are definitely going to affect uh, the future. And how then do you plan for it? Now I want you to talk about the reality and responsibility of authority. Uh, this deals. This chapter deals, uh, Pat, primarily with the role of governance, uh, uh, governance in the family, uh, governance in organization, um, and uh, uh, how, how, how governance from, from God. Uh, one, of the, one of the examples I cite is a, uh, in, in this, this chapter is an experience I had when I, when I was uh, busily trying to get to many places at once, including um, uh, meetings in New York, and then meetings in Boston, and back to Chicago, and uh, and I thought I had everything under control um, uh, in those meetings. But uh, as I got to New York on a Sunday night in my hotel, and uh, I went to bed because the next morning I had to be at a 7:30 meeting in Midtown. Um, I woke up the next morning and wanted to read the paper, so I opened the the door. Uh, and there the paper was in the middle of the hallway. I went out and got it. Guess what? The door closed behind me, and I was in my pajama <laughs> bottoms, and that's it. <laughs> Obviously didn't have a key to the door. <laughs> and what do you do in a situation? Well, well, you know, the only thing you can do is get on a crowded elevator, people looking at you, and you explain to everybody why you're in your pajamas, and go down and try to get a key at the front desk. And when I came to the front desk, uh, the uh, receptionist asked me for my identification. I looked at her and I said, you know, <laughs> I can't give you that. <laughs> so I had to go back and wait and, you know, finally got back into my room, got got to the meeting late, uh, able to catch my uh, my uh, plane to Boston, got to that meeting on the way home, 
to Chicago. I was praying in the, in the plane uh, that night, and uh, that uh, I was glad I didn't have to go back to New York. And uh, the next morning was September 11, wow. 2001, in New York. So, mm. so you know, there's situations like that that uh, you realize again. Uh, uh, God's hand and God's hand on even you're not in control. Uh, also, uh, I spend quite a bit of time in this chapter talking about good boardsmanship in organizations and uh, what, what that uh, is like. Um, and uh, again, there's some questions I ask: Who owns this place? Who runs this place? And who is responsible for this place? Especially those questions are important in not-for-profit organizations. I think. Bill Pollard is our guest, author of The Tides of Life. <clears throat> Final chapter, Bill, In My End is My Beginning. Yeah, well, that comes from, from uh, a poem from T.S. Eliot, and uh, um, it really recognizes that uh, while we come, especially as uh, I just celebrated my 76th birthday, as we come to the, the, the last half, let's say, of our life, uh, that uh, there are some ends uh, to be thinking about. Um, but uh, we know through our faith as Christians that uh, the end of life is just our beginning uh, of uh, uh, absent with the body and present with the Lord. Uh, so we have a presence with our Lord and Savior. But uh, there are still things to do. Uh, and uh, I'm actively involved in a number of organizations still, including the Billy Graham Association, Wheaton College, and others. Um, uh, as well as uh, working with my son and his business. So there's still things to do. Uh, the end is always an opportunity for a new beginning. Well, I can't thank you enough, Bill. Congratulations on your book, and uh, I'm so glad that we could visit. Well, thank you, Pat, for, for the example of your life, and uh, I still remember those times when you came and spoke to our service master people. So. Thank you for who you are, Pat. Thanks a million. See William Pollard, Bill Pollard, our guest. We've got a wrap-up after this here on the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. Stay with us. And a reminder that you're listening to AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Uh, we'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Just sneaked into my kids' rooms and took temperatures while they're sleeping, thanks to my exergen thermometer. All I did was swipe their foreheads for a few seconds. It didn't even wake them up. My sister, the nurse, told us about the exergen temporal scanner thermometer, and it's the best. Real value for the money and truly a lifesaver. Now I don't have to deal with ears or rears, if you know what I mean. I'm Dr. Frank Pompey, founder of Exergen. Thousands of hospitals and clinics rely on temporal scanners. I'm confident you will, too. The Exergen Temporal Scanner. Pick one up at Costco and other fine retailers or visit us at exergen.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Thank you so much for joining us here for the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. Uh, Mark Atterbury was our guest in the first half hour. <clears throat> talking about his book, The Solomon Seduction. Mark, the senior minister at Point Siena Christian Church in Kissimmee. And then Bill Pollard joined us from Wheaton, Illinois, and uh, we discussed his book, uh, The Tides of Life. Uh, please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And my most recent book is out. It's called uh, How to Be the Ultimate Teammate. Uh, Mark Tressman, the coach of the Bears, wrote the foreword, and uh, you can go to Amazon.com and order those books, uh, a wonderful way to order books, BarnesandNoble.com as well. In the meantime, we will be back next weekend for more on the Weekend Power Hour. Uh, have a great week ahead, and uh, God's richest blessings to you folks. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 950 WTLN. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.